This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning, you're listening to Pressing Matters, the show where we go beyond the headlines and explore issues driving the press. I'm Philip C. On today's show, we speak to Dr. Aim Sinping, a Senior Lecturer in Comparative Politics in the Department of Government and International Relations at the University of Sydney, about the state of this current watershed tie election that is currently taking place. Good morning to you, Aim. Malaysians are very interested in this election because it feels like this is a watershed election. It's a very consequential election because we haven't had an election in Thailand for quite some time. So just perhaps give us a sense, right, to unpack who are the major parties, who are the main contenders in this election? One of the reasons why this election is thought to be a a really exciting election is that uh, it's happening in the back of nearly three years of sustained youth-led protests in Thailand that began in 2020. And there's this strong sense that the youth vote might matter a lot this time, much more so than last time. Um, And so the key players are basically divided. If you think about political parties in Thailand at the moment in the political climate, the country has been in political crisis in in so many ways, like Malaysia, uh, for over two decades. And the divide uh, is now exemplified along the political spectrum as the progressive political parties that are pro-democracy, pro-change versus uh, uh, more conservative uh, political parties that are pro-status quo. And there's this talk about generations and the, the youth tipping the balance. And that's because if you count the, so at the moment, the Gen X, which is people the age between 42 to almost up to 60, are still the majority of the voters base. So they're about 31%. But the youth, basically 41 down, all the way down to 18. Um, If you actually couple all the Gen Z and the Gen Y together, they're actually um, now uh, over over 40%. But if you split them up, they're, they're... uh, the Gen X is still the biggest. But that's really important because the protests that were led by uh, the youth in Thailand suggest that the young want more change and want more progressive change than the country has ever witnessed. And if they all go to vote this time, and polls have indicated that the voter turnout of young people under the age of 40 will be higher than last time, we might see some really um, important change in terms of who might win the election. Now, the critical thing about Thailand, very much like Malaysia, is that it's also unlikely that the most popular party will get to govern. Uh, it's going to be a coalition government again. And the conservative side knows that. So have, they've been working on, you know, the conservative side exemplified by Prayut uh, Chan-o-sha, which is the current prime minister, who was the leader of a coup d'etat in 2014, ran the country under military-backed government for five years, won an election in 2019, a very, mm-hmm. very flawed election. And now, you know, he kind of splintered out, started his new party, but his allies on the conservative political party side are all on that side too. So this will become a story of both change and continuity. The change will be 
if all the young people are coming out to vote and vote their voice as well, the parties on the progressive side will likely to get even more votes than they think they would yeah. and likely will yeah. win the popularity vote. Yeah, but I find I it so fascinating because, you know, when you when you try and frame this election as an election where the youth want to speak out, if you bring it closer to home in Malaysia, there was so much promise also of the youth vote uh, trying to drive that change in Malaysia. It kind of did, but we've had youth-specific parties that really didn't do well in Malaysia, that didn't materialize or translate into any tangible political prospects, right? How is the in how is the structure of the youth vote? or the youth political structure in Thailand that would make them very consequential? That's a great question. And in fact, we have two opposition, two major opposition parties, mm. Per Thai, which is actually more like an establishment in Thailand, right? It's yeah. a party that w- was, was started with Thaktin Shinawat and it continues to be under the leadership yeah. of various members of his family. Um, it had a very strong, very well-established and very loyal vote base that will likely result in the party winning the popular vote. So they're on the pro-democracy side, but they're not very progressive. They're like center, they're kind of still center, but Mm. you know, they want change because they want to be in power. But they're not going to really enact very dramatic changes that young people might want. Things like, you know, improve equality, same-sex marriage, marijuana laws, all of these more, you know, LGBTQ rights, um, climate change issues, all of these things are not really the driving policies. Putai Putai is much more um, a middle, middle, mid like middle of the road party. much more about welfare Mm. yeah welfare but they're populist because it has been driven largely by the rhetoric of its old leader and and his subsequent family members um so it will likely win the more the most progressive one right move forward party it was known as future forward but they're the real youth party and they did incredibly well in 2019 election uh, they emerged as the third largest party in Thailand, having only been established less than six months prior to the election. The real question for Move Forward is, was that a fluke? Mm. Was that just a protest vote? And I think, you know, the indications that that, that we're seeing the past two weeks, they're trending extremely well online. Their, their candidates, especially their party leaders, do very well on TV debates. Their popularity is growing up. So hopefully that, trans, that translates into, into votes. And if that's the case, the real change will come if they're willing to form coalition with other parties that may not be on the progressive side, which they have promised everyone that they will not do. And so I think this is where, you know, sort of like a progressive protest type of youth party is meeting political reality. Yeah, and it's really hard one because as you say, right, the, the the structure of the National Assembly is such that you might have, you know, two uh, differing parties with very different ideologies, the centrist Pui Thai and the progressive Move Forward Party having to work together. And will that mean then that people will have to compromise principles? Because I guess the debate here is that when I listen to you, a lot of the politics here is dominated very much by policy rather than personality. That what frames a lot of the conversation here is the frustration over the lack of policy, right, that, that some of the progressives are endearing for. So Pertai and Move Forward are natural allies. They're both on 
the opposition side, even yeah. if you know Kota is more centrist, so they will have no problem being together. It's the whether or not that's enough, because that was yeah. not enough in 2019. Mm-hmm. And basically, because Kota is more pragmatic party rather than an ideological party, but Mufa what is an ideological party? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're one of their main policy is to get rid of conscription, and you know that sent all the military going mad. Like yeah. military dominates Thai politics, so yeah. they they would ne- never let that go through, right? So you know, if the fault line is that one and reforming the monarchy, the two most uh, controversial things to do in Thailand, they they may have to if they don't want to be in opposition anymore, they want to actually govern. A lot of the debate is really, in my view, social policy, political policy. How much are bread and butter issues like salaries, inflation, the economic trajectory of Thailand? Is there any frustration? or hopes about that? Is that the center of the conversation? Because when I hear you, it doesn't seem to dominate the conversation as much as perhaps like in Malaysia, that seemed to be center stage. Yeah, that is center stage in Thailand too. The, that's all people talk about. And that's the real problem for the progressive party who whose policies whose policies that um, drive them are kind of more marginal, right? Identity type policy, yeah. um, structural sort of, you know, ideological type policy rather than welfare. And every party has, they're trying to basically there's a race against who can who say they can offer more money you know through to people because that's what all people care about after COVID yeah. is you know rising cost of living buying up good job all kind of the same sentiment everywhere feel and and the 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 drive for change is more so symbolically as well they felt like they've been under us rule for you know almost a decade uh, so I think the opposition's party job is to say we need change because even if we don't agree with all our policies. He's been in power for nine years, and this is how far we've gone, mm. or lack of. Whereas the conservative side is trying to say there's too much uncertainty, there's too much disorder in the world. We need stability now, and we're going to continue to stay here and do our job at the very best. Don't vote change because change can cause uncertainty. It can go wrong. It can go bad. So they're getting at the anxiety and the fear of people at a time of high um, instability. You know, economic instability, social instability, public health issue. We're going to get into some messages and when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. A.M. Singping from the University of Sydney on Thailand's 2023 elections and it gets underway. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Thanks for staying tuned to Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. Today on the show, we speak to Dr. A.M. Singping, Senior Lecturer in Comparative Politics in the Department of Government and International Relations at the University of Sydney about this Thai election taking place. You know, Aim, just now we ended the last conversation about change versus driving constant and providing certainty. But what's very interesting is that the, the main agent or the person kind of behind the scenes driving change is Mr. Taksin Shinawat himself. And he's one of the biggest <laughs> constants in Thai's political environment. Does that provide any solace and comfort to the Thai electorate that Taksin Shinawat perhaps is looming large in Thai's current political scene? He's almost like a symbol of stability, right? In the in a sense that he would still be there kicking around and it won't go away. That's just um, you know, that says so much about 
like my theme earlier was change and continuity continuity because if you listen to his daughter uh pat Antan, which is you know one of the candidates for um prime minister you feel like she's so different from her dad she talks about gender equality or gender um erasing you know making sure that women are getting a same opportunity as men mm. and yet you know she goes on rallies and people are coming out with photos of her dad so it's like she too is living in his shadow everyone in that party is living in his shadow because he's such a important figure in fact he probably arguably was the most popular prime minister we've ever had no prime minister had ever won two elections in a row like mm. that and if it weren't because of the coup he would have completed his term the first time he completed his term between 2001 2005 he was the first prime minister to complete the term. That's how sad the politics was. Like there was so much government change prior to that, that mm. when he came, it was like a big storm. I, I in fact worked for him in 20, 2005. At the, that's when the, the protest started. Mm. And the fact that, you know, 20, what, more than 20 years later, you know, his party is still kicking around, having changed his name, you know, so many times. His daughter is going out on rallies and people are bringing out photo photo frames that look like it's 20 years ago of him at rallies. Like, that's how strong the support bit is. And I think Thailand is still stuck in this politics, one in which is dominated by, you know, the trios of power, the monarchy, the military, right, and the bureaucracy in some way. And right now it's being championed by the conservative political party. On the other hand, whenever there was a real change maker who came along, a really consequential one, there was a huge conservative backlash against that. And that fight kind of never got resolved. Nothing was ever resolved. The only thing that happened was there were two coups. Nothing resolved, right? They said the, the grievances uh, that had been captured by Taksin and his subsequent parties that the people had, had never been resolved. It's like an open wound, wound that just mm-hmm. kept on going. Uh, and I think we needed to get out of that. And Taksin's declaration that he's going to come back is just going to open up more wounds. That's it'll, probably why. It'll open up a Pandora's box. And I think the biggest issue I have is that if I listen to you, this election is not going to resolve anything, isn't it? It's just going to create more division. That in the end, when we hope to find some balance that can placate everybody, we probably won't get that right as an outcome of this election. We did get there at the Bangkok election. I think oh. people underestimate the importance of the Bangkok election that happened you know, a couple of years ago, where you had an, an independent candidate who was fully and thoroughly accepted by the all across the political divide, even the opposition party who was, you know, like uh, who was supposed to be trending very well, doing very well in a place like Bangkok that had a lot of its supporters. They accepted that this candidate was better. And basically, we just need someone. I, I hate to say we need the person because you, you, you hope that personality shouldn't matter at this point. But we needed someone that can exemplify compromise, you know, that can be, can work across um, political divisions. And everyone accepted that person. But it cannot be someone already known. That's the problem with Taksin and all of his family members is that they come with baggage. Mm. It has to be someone seen as politically neutral and pragmatic and can work with everyone. Not someone that is tied to a family that is the biggest part of the problem. Someone technocratic. So, yeah. Someone that's a technocrat, essentially. Um, 
But yeah, but if he's a technocrat, it's almost like there's like it's like you think that they're probably boring and not charming. Someone who <laughs> and and you know, we try to get out of the in Southeast Asia, right? It's almost like the personality drives politics. It's like whose party is it, you know? And we really should try to overcome that. But institutionally we're just not there yet. Most political parties today are still political parties of a man, you know, or passed on from a father to this kid, not many that are just parties that represent a particular principle, ideology, and policy that goes beyond the leaders. We're getting there, I think, slowly, very slowly. And one evidence of good news is that in this election, it seems that there is much more emphasis on policy than it has ever been. And that that whole notion that policy is starting to matter more in, in a consequential way is great because you shouldn't be voting for Pratai because you love Thaksin. You have to vote for Pratai because you really want the changes that the party brings. When you see the results come out, you know, in a couple of hours or days ahead, right, where are the battleground regions and locations which will serve as a barometer where the election is heading? Because you were referencing Bangkok earlier. The battlegrounds are now increasingly areas that are swing areas. So areas that used to be a um, a stronghold of party that's no longer a stronghold of party. So, for example, uh, Southern Thailand, you, mm. it has forever been a stronghold of the Democrat Party, which used to be the one of the largest party in Thailand. But it has been for every election in the past 15 years, slowly losing support, but it has always been able to hold on to the South. But I think they might lose it now. So that 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 matters. Um, Bangkok and its surrounding provinces, they're all in some way always up for grabs. And that's good because it means it reflects that voters are diversified, that they're not just going to keep voting for the same places. And that's good. Um, I think North and Northeast is not going to change. That's Pura Thai's base. Like the eastern part of Thailand, like along the coast, Pattaya, Chonburi, all the way up there could flip as well. And that's great uh, because it means that we're not just going to see voting pattern that is regionally fragmented in the way that it has always been. So it's more unpredictable. So I would watch for Bangkok and its surrounding provinces, the eastern part of Thailand and southern Thailand. Interesting. And give us a sense of how the media is covering the campaign. Are, are you seeing that the media becoming increasingly unbiased or are, are they taking sides? How is the media landscape like with respect to covering this election? Well, it depends on which media, but I think that because of the multiplication of of channels that are uh, are on satellite, right, are free for free for service. There's just a lot more talking points, a lot more viewpoints you can hear from. Of course, with social media and the rise of micro influencers everywhere, especially on TikTok platforms, you get citizen journalists. You know, get people who just decided they want to do video about a candidate that they like, and then they put it online. And I think that's great. And um, I'm hoping, and I really think that's correct, that there's more press freedom this time around compared to 2019. 2019, the campaigning was happening still under military rule. So there was a lot of irregularities, not you know, a lot of, of things that people can talk about, even the parties couldn't do. Uh, a simple thing like a simple thing like parties couldn't sell merchandise to raise funds to help them campaign. Uh, you know, selling T-shirts um, as against campaign uh, rules. But I mean, there was a lot of things going on that really disadvantages new parties and small parties at the time. So I'm hoping that they that there is more freedom this time, around, especially at least on the media front uh, that allows uh, smaller and medium sized parties that may not have the resources um, or the platforms 
from traditional media that they normally have can utilize social media platforms as a way to get attention. And this is where I'm quite keen to understand and get your perspective. You know, at the start of this conversation, we talked about how um, youth participation seems to be very robust based on what we see in terms of digital engagement, right, through the digital media platforms there. But that doesn't necessarily give us a good barometer of the overall sense of voting intention. Do you see a, a correlation between the election polls that are being conducted on the ground versus digital engagement? Or is there a bit of a disparity there? Yeah, I mean, polling is, it's got its flaws. And I think it's not tapping into the what's going on social media very well. But again, uh, what's going on social media may and may not have anything to do with voting choice. I just did a survey with a colleague of mine, um, Ari Zurugay from New York, Philippines, Dilliman, about, you know, media consumption and vote choice in the Philippines election uh, last year. And it turns out that consumption of social media is high, but the media that impacts vote choice the most is still TV. And I, I'm doing the same survey uh, two weeks after the, the Thai election, uh, asking the same question. So I won't be surprised at all if vote choice is less driven by social media, despite high usage of social media during election time. And I think one, one key thing about TV is that I think a lot of people like watching debate. And this is where you get the rookie guy or the new party to shine, that people may not know who they are. And getting at the, the, the swing voters, right, who are like on the fence, they don't know who to vote for. And then this new person comes up with really great debates. And then you, you're kind of struck by their intellectualism or their ability to speak properly about policy. And then social media kind of picks up on that after the TV debate. So I wouldn't underestimate radio or TV at all as critical media tools to decide who to vote for. Very interesting because one can lead to the other. And I think that's a very interesting connection that perhaps media must be treated, must be viewed as an integrated form of engagement, right, to the electorate. The interesting thing about the Philippines survey as well was that when we asked what they use social media for uh, in terms of their vote choice, uh, when they do use it, it's not to, uh, yeah, they use mostly to get information, but they actually use it to figure out who their family's members are voting for. So there's this kinship component going on Mm. in the Philippines too, where they want to know what the aunties and uncles are voting for, and they're kind of voting along with their families on social media. It's almost unnecessary to use social media, right? I mean, in the old days, we yes. just text them or call them or see them and be like, hey, who are you voting for? <laughs> and now it's just like, hey, you're voting for in a DM, you know? Um, and, and, and that's almost refreshing because strong ties do matter. That was such an interesting discussion. That was Dr. Aim Sin Ping from the University of Sydney about the state of this watershed Thai election. This has been Pressing Matter on the Morning Run. Coming up next, the 10 a.m. News Bulletin, followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.